0: Thanks, Peter. Well done, mate. Father, we ask today that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand this word and the relevance for us today, drive it deep into our hearts, make us more like Jesus. In his name we pray today. Amen. Well, this is a fascinating passage of Scripture which Peter has read for us this morning. And these are possibly the best days in the life of King David because he's now at a place of peace with the nation. He's been enthroned as king over the entire nation. And the nation is united. And David's enjoying rest. And he has some time to to meditate and to reflect on on the blessings that he's received from God. And as David meditates on all of this, on all the Lord has done, and on on the law of the Lord, there's a dream that's born in his heart. He wants to build for God a permanent dwelling place. Now, since the time of the tabernacle since the time that had been built built, uh, in the days of Moses, God's presence had always been in the Holy of Holies and in a temporary building. It was a kind of a big tent. And David wanted to give the Lord a a proper, permanent place in which to manifest His presence and His glory for the nation to experience. The only problem with this particular dream was that he had in his heart was that God said, No, you're not going to do it. And David's reaction to God's no is something that we all need to take to heart today. Because I'm sure that there are people in this room who've had a big dream. Something they wanted to do. And God said no. Have you dreamt like that? Have you had that sort of an experience? I've had it. Maybe when you were young, you the young men wanted to be preacher of the gospel. Or some of you women wanted to be missionaries. And that just didn't happen. The Lord said, no, I've got a different plan for your life. So what do we do when God says no? I think David shows us something really interesting that we are supposed to do when God looks at our dream and he says, no, this is not my plan for your life. So let's have a look at that today. What do you do when God says no? Well, the first three verses that that, uh, Peter read for us this morning, the desire is there that which David has expressed. It was a very good desire. David's sitting in his palace. He's feeling guilty that he's living in the lap of luxury when the presence of God lives inside a tent. And he believes that the glory of God should have a house which is befitting his majesty. And it's a good desire that David had. And indeed, David was actually praised by the Lord for having this dream because in 2 Chronicles, God says to him, you did well to have this dream in your heart. So it's not a bad dream which David has got. This is a good thing. God even approved of the dream that he had in his heart, but he said no. Now, whilst I'm thinking of of David building a wonderful place for, for God to inhabit, I'm thinking of us working here, transforming this building. Well, I think that the grounds that we worship in on ought to be the best they possibly can. I know this is simply a building and that we are the temple of God. But the place where we meet ought to be the best that it can be. I really think it should be. And we reflect that to our community. What do we think about our God? When we look after our building well, when we do the best we can with the resources that God's given to us. Now, it doesn't have to be adorned with gold and glitter and all that sort of stuff. But I want it to be, want it to be the best. And that reveals you know, part of our commitment to God as to how we look after the place that we meet together. Whether we met here or whether we met someplace else, doesn't matter. We need to look after it. So David's desire was a good desire. It was also a gracious desire because David wasn't asking for anything himself. He didn't want to receive. He wanted to give something back to God. He wants to to improve God's situation as far as he could. But that's not, of course, what God asked for him to do. Just think for a moment, could you ever repay God for what he'd done for you? We couldn't, could we? But we should have a desire in our heart to see God honoured and glorified, regardless of the cost. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we need to be cheerfully giving to God, shouldn't we? Doing our best. That's a gracious desire we can have. So David's desire was a good desire, was a gracious desire, and it was also a godly desire because David had no ulterior motives here. He wants to build a house for the Lord. His desire is to see the Lord glorified and honoured. He wants God to be exalted. And that's a godly desire. So if we reflect on that for a moment and, and put it back into our, you know, our circumstances here, it's good to have a dream. And it's good to have a dream for God. But we need to be sure that the dream is actually from God. So whilst David had a good, gracious dream, his dream was not from the Lord. And he was even encouraged by Nathan the prophet in verse 4, you know. Nathan says, you know, do what you think's right. God's with you. So even the man of God thought it was okay. But notice Nathan didn't stop to pray about this. He simply reflected on the spot. He thought the dream was good. And David's dream has all the earmarks of, of something that should be, you know, that could be impressed upon him by the Lord. But it turned out to be David's dream and not necessarily God's dream. But we can thank God for for, for dreams and for a desire to serve Him. We simply need to be sure that our dreams are, in fact, from the Lord. That's important. I mean, there are some dreams which are from the Lord. Remember the guy called Joseph in the Old Testament? He had a dream from God, and it all came true, didn't it? So we knew that from God. But that doesn't always happen for all of us. So let's have a look at what happened for, for David after he had this particular dream. He experienced a denial. because after he told Nathan the prophet, Nathan first of all said, oh, that must be good. Go, go ahead and do it. Nathan goes home and during the night, God speaks to Nathan and he comes back to, to David and he says, oh, hang on, sorry. <laughs> Belay that for a moment. This is actually not from God. So God says no to David, but it's interesting. He doesn't just shatter David's dream. And leave him with a broken heart. When God says no, he tempers his no with some very precious words that are designed to soothe the heart of David. So let's have a look at these words a little bit. And hopefully it will help us in our times when God says no to our dreams. You got your Bible open? Second Samuel? Is that me causing that feedback or is it just... That's me, is it? Alright. right? Second Samuel, chapter 7. Verses 8 to 11. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be the ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I'll make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I'll provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Weak, wicked people will no longer dist- oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning. And he goes on a little bit further. But it's interesting, this, this no which God gives is tempered by God's provision because it turns out that instead of allowing David to give to God, God in turn, he just turns everything around and he gives to David instead. He reminds David of his great grace in taking him from, from a humble shepherd to leading some sheep to actually being the leader of a nation. And God, in His grace, He took a nobody and He made a somebody out of him. And in verse 9, it even says that He made David into a celebrity. David was known around the whole world of that time. The known world knew about David. And David's reminded that he's been made a partaker of God's rest, God's peace, God's victory, and God's power. So we see that that God's know. Is there's the provision of God there, but it's also tempered by God's incredible promises because David has a desire to build a house for the Lord, but, the God, but God says to him, no, I'm going to build you a house instead. And in the verses that follow, in verses 12 to 15, God makes a covenant with David. It's known as the Davidic covenant. So he makes an agreement with David. and says, this is how I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a son. and He's going to be an amazing person. He's going to walk with me, he's going to be treated as a son by God and his kingdom's going to be established and he's going to be chastened where necessary by God himself. And God tells David that his son will build a house for God. So, David, you're not going to build a house, your son is going to build a house. So these, these wonderful promises. And I can imagine that for David, they would have brought peace to his heart. He thought, well, okay, I've had this dream, God says no, but the dream is going to be fulfilled in a different way one day. So God's no was was tempered by God's provision, God's promises, and also by God's, God's plan, because God is saying to David, look, you want to build me a house, but I'm going to build your house, and I'm going to establish your throne forever. That's pretty amazing to think about that. This is going to be an eternal throne. So David discovered that our dreams that we have for our lives are not always exactly... God's plan and God's dream for our lives. But what can we glean from these verses? Well, God sometimes says no to our dreams and to our plans. But when he does, when he says no, he doesn't do it to defeat us or to discourage us. He does it because he has something far better in mind than we could have planned for ourselves. David thought he was going to build a temple and that would be the end of it. But he found out that it was not God's will for him to build a temple. He also found out that God had some other things planned for his future that he could never have dreamed up on his own. Some of you have witnessed the death of your dreams. You've watched as life has been altered and the plans that you had in your youth have gone. But I think if you look back at your life, you'll discover that God has done some different things with your life you'll see that he has something far better in mind for you than you ever could have dreamed up. God always has the best plans. I found a wonderful story. A Scottish family by the name of Clark. They had a dream. The husband and the wife and their nine children, they wanted to immigrate from Scotland to the United States. And to make the dream come a, become a reality, they struggled, they scrimped, they saved. They finally managed to accumulate enough money and get all the paperwork that was necessary to begin this trip from Scotland to the New World, to to, to the US of A. They made reservations on a ship. The family was ecstatic. And then, as often happens, there was a tragedy. The youngest son of the family was bitten by a dog. Now, the doctor was able to stitch up the young son pretty quickly. There was no problems. But there was a chance that this dog could have rabies. So the doctor hung a sign on the door of the house that no one could leave the house for the next two weeks. The ship was sailing for America in seven days. They were quarantined for two weeks. The father, he was outraged at what he felt was unjust, unfair. You know, he was furious at God. He was furious at his little boy for getting bitten in the first place. He was upset about the whole deal. On the 15th of April, that very ship which they should have sailed on, it sank. The Titanic 1,500 people drowned. That father celebrated on that day the goodness of God that had spared him and his family for an incredible tragedy. Now, some of you might not have been on a Titanic kind of thing, but you've seen the similar thing happen to your own dreams. They've just fallen apart, and it hasn't happened. Your dreams have been shattered, and you've wondered why God would allow you, you know, refuse to allow you to have those dreams to be fulfilled. And maybe you're disappointed with the way your life's turned out. But when you look back, When you look back, I challenge you, look at your life and look what God has done for you. You may not have gotten all you wanted out of life, but hasn't God actually given you more than you imagined? Are you not saved by His grace? That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's huge. You have eternity, you have heaven, which is your destination. Maybe God hasn't used your life to accomplish all that you wanted accomplished. Accomplished what he wants accomplished. I've been blessed to be the father of five beautiful children. I've been blessed to know that they've had opportunity to hear about Jesus. I always wanted to be a multimillionaire businessman. I really did. And as a Christian, I still wanted to be that. I wanted to start at KFC, the Kingdom Finance Corporation. (laughs) I thought that was pretty reasonable as a man. Because I don't know about you, but I constantly get mail about people who need money. I thought, well, Lord, make me make money. That'll be real good, and I'll just distribute it really well. Instead, God said, No, I've got a better plan for your life, Martin. I want you to be the father of five children, the husband of Elwin. I want you to be pastor of a church. I ended up here. How blessed am I? Isn't it good? God had a completely different plan for my life. And yet when I see things happen, I go like, wow, lives have been transformed. I've seen things happen in people's lives and I'll be part of that. Look at your life and look at what God has done for you. The Lord always has the best plan. But what was David's response now? Let's have a look at the devotion that David exhibited. What was David's response to God saying No. Because the closing verses of the passage which Peter read for us this morning shows his response of, of utter devotion to the Lord. Have a look at verse 18 of chapter 7. This is interesting. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said. He sat before the Lord. David went in and he sat down. Then in verse 20. Have a look what he does. He goes on. He says, let me read from verse, verse 18. And King David went in and he sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I? O sovereign Lord. And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this is not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? And what more can David say? Look, David's referring himself to himself in the third person. He's like a little child, isn't he? I mean, little kids do that. They refer to themselves that way. So David sits down like a little child before the, before the Lord. He refers to himself in the third person. He acknowledges that he's completely unworthy of such, such blessing. And then in verses 19 to 22, he praises the Lord for all of his blessings, for his grace, for his wonderful love, for his children. That David, the mighty king, he just assumes this place of a humble child in the presence of the Lord. We need to do the same. We need to humble ourselves before God, become like a little child again in his presence, sit down before God and hear from God and know God and worship him. And David's devotion was a holy devotion because even though David didn't get his will in this matter, he was willing to accept God's plan for his life. And his words are filled with praise for the God he loves. Now, some of us like to pout when we don't get our own way, don't we? Seen the faces, come on. But David, he was praising. That's the perspective we need to get. Say, well, don't pout before God. Sit down like a little child and start praising your God for how amazing he is, even if you're not getting exactly what you want. So David's devotion was, was a humble devotion. It was a holy devotion. And it was an honorable devotion because David simply accepts God's promises. He acknowledges God's ability to bring them to pass. And in his prayer, David reveals that he's willing to accept God's plan, even though it isn't originally what David wanted. Remember when we prayed the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what David's doing. He's gotten to that place in his life where he comes before God and he sits down before God and he says, Okay, you are God. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. So what should our response be when God says no to us? The first thing we need to do is, like David, we need to remember who we are and what we have because of God's pure grace. I am able to stand here and tell you about Jesus because of the grace of God. No other reason at all. I don't deserve it. I'm not clever enough. None of that. It's God's grace. That's what's happening. God's pure, perfect grace. We are the potter, the potter, and we are the clay. Remember that? We need to assume the place of a humble child before God and be in His presence and just trust Him to do the best. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was just committed to God, wasn't he? Whether he lived or whether he died. So our goal in life shouldn't be to reach our dreams, but to see God's will done in our lives. And I think there's no greater honor than being used by the Lord to bring glory to His name, even if it isn't the way that we had hoped for. So what sort of things can you be doing for the glory of God? I had to look at the Bible, what sort of things can we do? And I found this wonderful passage. I found something that every single human being can do for the glory of God. Listen to this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31. "So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, can you eat? Can you drink? You can do it for the glory of God. That makes a very mundane act into something rather magnificent, doesn't it? We can have morning tea after this service and do it for the glory of God. How good is our God that He can turn eating and drinking into an act of worship? That's why we should say grace and be thankful, eh? But this is something that all of us can do. That's amazing that God would take the most mundane things and say, all right, you do something really basic, eating and drinking, and do it for my glory. In fact, whatever you do, do it for my glory. Whether I'm walking around, whether I'm eating, whether I'm drinking, sitting, standing, lying down, doesn't matter. I can do it for the glory of So David, he wasn't allowed to build the Lord's temple, but he was allowed to make preparations for the fulfillment of the dream. And it tells us in in, in 1 Chronicles that David prepared all the materials necessary for the construction of the building, and Solomon eventually got to build it. So in the end, David was still part of seeing the dream accomplished. He just didn't do it himself. It didn't happen the way he planned it, but he still got to be part of God's plan. And so when we are part of God's plan, then we can see dreams come true. That's right, isn't it? So there's something to remember from this passage is this. Sometimes you will not see your dreams fulfilled until you are willing to let your dreams go and let them go forever. You have to be willing to adopt God's dream as your dream. And when that happens, you will get to see your dreams come true. Now, I'm not much into reading poetry, but I found a poem which I thought was just amazing. It's written by a lady called Martha Snell Nicholson. It's entitled Treasures. Listen to this poem. It's quite profound. One by one he took them from me, all the things I valued most. Until I was empty-handed, every glistening toy was lost. And I walked earth's highway, grieving, in my rags and poverty, till I heard his voice inviting, lift those empty hands to me. So I held my hands toward heaven, and he filled them with a store of his transcendent riches till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended, with my stupid mind and dull, that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. Maybe I should have started with that for the sermon. That would do. That's the whole point of the deal. If your hands are full, God can't fill your hands. And that's why we lift up empty hands to God so that He can fill them. So do some of you have shattered dreams in your life today? Do you have things that haven't turned out the way you expected them to turn out? Is there some bitterness in your heart because you didn't get your way? Well, wouldn't today be a great day to take the shattered dreams and give them to God, lay them at His feet, and let Him show you a better way Get past the pain of God saying no. Bring the issues to God. Look at him. And say, thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. May thy will be done in my life today. And I'm sure the Lord will show you something new. He'll show you what he's done for you in the past. He'll show you who you are right now. And he'll show you a plan that he has for each one of us in a glorious future. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the incredible perspective that scripture gives to us. Because, Father, each one of us have had dreams of one kind or another that haven't been fulfilled. And we've struggled with that so much, Lord. But thank you, Father God, that you are God who knows all. You see the beginning From the end, you know all of these things. You have a great plan for each one of us. And we can be part of the work of the kingdom, which is so incredibly amazing to think about. Help us, Father, to be able to let go of our own dreams and to experience your dream and to truly see your kingdom come in each of our hearts. And may your will be done here, Father, just as it is in heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.